fellow true believers, welcome to Simply Devotion, a podcast that takes complex theological ideas and transforms them into points of understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny, from simplyvinny.com. Hey, you're back, awesome true believer. It is amazing to have you today. Today, we are getting ready to kick this podcast up. I don't know. One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten levels. As we finish out this season, remember, I told you our podcast would be in seasons. We have about four, maybe five more episodes left in this season. We are going to buckle down and do a deep dive into the eschatology of Jesus. If you're unfamiliar with the word eschatology, the word eschatology simply means the study of last things. Ology always means the study of, and esch is from the root word of last in Greek. So when we talk about eschatology, that's a theological term for the study of last things. In other words, the prophetic ministry of Jesus. In other words, some people might call it the quote-unquote end times. But eschatology isn't really about the end times. It's about the prophetic voice of Jesus in telling us where the world is, where it will be, and where it's going. Jesus does this throughout the Bible. And in various places, he has a lot to say about the second coming, the end of the age, and just the progression of his prophetic movement. The main place, though, If we were to focus in on one place where Jesus is very clear about the end time events or last events, we would see Jesus talk directly about it in what is called the Sermon of Olives, not to be confused with the Sermon on the Mount, which is a great sermon, but the Sermon of Olives is found In its largest portion, in the book of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25. However, it's imperative to understand that that's the largest portion of the sermon in Matthew 24 and 25. There are other accounts of the sermon in the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in this mini-series, as we close out the last four or five episodes of this podcast, we will, from time to time, look at those accounts too. But for this podcast, I have something extremely special planned. I invited Pastor Travis Walker to join me And this is a special treat for my listeners because Pastor Travis, who is a personal friend of mine, is also the founder and host of Adventology, which is a very popular podcast that specializes in dealing with 
the end time events and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ in the context of end time events. I don't want to take up too much time telling you about Pastor Travis and Adventology, except to tell you that it is a very successful podcast, and I am very honored to have him here with me today to discuss the eschatology of Jesus. Now, when Pastor Travis sat down with me, we did an interview And we're going to split this interview up into two podcasts. And basically in this sort of exchange, it's more of a conversation we had together. We break down the major ideas of Matthew 24, the first chapter in the Sermon of Olives, Matthew 24. If you want to get your Bible out, this is going to be, you know, if you are at a place where you can look at your text and you can look at your Bible then that may be beneficial to you in this sort of study today. Um, But if not, you can always review the podcast at any time. But me and Pastor Travis over these two um, next episodes are going to break down the major theological movements in Matthew 24. And I'm just going to get out of the way here and let Travis tell us a little bit about himself. And me and Travis will jump into our conversation. Hey Vince, thanks for having me on the podcast today. It's a it's a privilege, and I've always appreciated uh, our friendship over the years. And uh, yeah, I have a, a podcast called Aventology, and uh, really the podcast is centered around helping people to be ready for Jesus. Um, and so the assumption behind that is that Jesus is coming again, and that He's coming soon, and that um, just as Jesus counseled us in Matthew 24 to to be ready that he's coming in an hour that you do not expect. Um, that is the premise of the need for a podcast like Aventology because, um, you know, there's a lot of distractions in the world and uh, we need to stay focused on the things Jesus told us to do and to believe um, so that uh, we're ready when he does come. So that's essentially the podcast. There's probably about 45 episodes up there right now that cover a variety of topics um, related to this central theme of being ready for Jesus. And uh, yeah, you can find them anywhere you can get podcasts. Uh, We're also on YouTube and uh, we have uh, a Twitter and a Facebook. So yeah, there's lots of ways you can connect with, uh, with Adventology. And I know that's kind of a, you know, your thing because the word Advent has a connection to prophecy, right? It has this connection to, you know, it means the arrival, right? Would that be the right word? Yeah, the coming of or the arrival of, yeah, for sure. So that's kind of why people talk about Advent at Christmas because the baby Jesus came. But when it comes to the idea of Adventology, I've always sort of taken it as what you were talking about, the second coming, right? Yeah. So the ology is the study of, and the Advent is the coming. And so we're, we're studying about the coming of Jesus. And and so everything is, is focused on Jesus. And uh, so we're just helping people learn more about topics related to the second coming of Jesus and then how 
those topics and how those truths help us live today. And uh, obviously we want to live not just in the future, we wanna live in the present. So what does that mean being ready for Jesus today? Not just uh, looking forward, but there, there are definitely principles and topics that we cover for that as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be ending this season with an extended mini series of the eschatology of Jesus. And for some of my listeners, they may not know that word eschatology. It just means, it means the same as aventology. We were talking about that before we started. Eschatology just means the study of last events, right? And so I'm gonna be starting this, this, this last branch of season one of my podcast on the eschatology of Jesus. What did Jesus have to say about the last events? The classic chapter is Matthew 24. I mean, it appears in all the Synoptic Gospels, but greatly reduced. The, the, the largest part of this sermon, which I don't know what you call it. I call it the Sermon of Olives because we will see in the text that it mostly takes place on the Mount of Olives. Have you had the opportunity to, 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 to travel to the Holy Lands? Yeah, actually I have. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to go, I think it was back in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, uh, around that time anyway, uh, exploring the Holy Land was an unforgettable experience. Yeah, me too. In fact, I was so blessed, Travis, that I got to climb Mount, the Mount of Olives. I say climb, it's mostly walk, hike, the Mount of Olives. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, and I got to do it on my birthday. <laughs> it was an amazing treat that it landed on my birthday. I, I think I was supposed to go on the same trip that you were on actually, but my wife was very sick at the time. And so I couldn't go. Um, and I didn't know if you had went or not. Um, so, so the beginning of Matthew 24 really speaks to me differently. And, and I'm going to give you my take on it and hear what you think. It speaks to me different having been at the steps of the temple and having walked from the steps of the temple up the Mount of Olives. It, it says Jesus left the temple. I'm reading from Matthew 24, verse one. Jesus left the temple. So he's at the temple. We're going to assume the temple steps because that's where you would leave the temple at. Uh, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called him to attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you, truly, I tell you, not one of them here will be left upon another. They all will be thrown down. And in verse three, as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately telling us, Tell us when these things will happen. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, there are a couple things for me, having been to the Holy Lands, that just boggle my mind. This conversation is happening as they're leaving the temple and looking at the beautiful temple. And then they're leaving, which means they're going through Kidron Valley. They from the temple, you have to go down, a, like the temple's on a mount itself. And then you go down a valley, Kidron Valley, which is literally a grave. Like you are, are literally going to walk through the tombs of the prophets, right? It's, it's, it's a graveyard and you're going to go up past Gethsemane and you're going to perch. And the way my Torah guide explained it to us, when you perch on Mount of Olives and you look across your eye level, with the gate of the beautiful, which looks back at the Temple Mount to where the Holy of Holies would have been, where God's throne literally in the Jewish mindset was. So in my mind, there's, they're having this conversation of these last events 
and they're walking through the valley of death, up past the panic anemone, to become eye level with the Father. And there's a subtle pastoral side of Jesus saying, the journey back to the Father may be riddled with death, heart-wrenching events, but it's all about getting back to the Father. I just remember being there and it was like this fantastic view of the of the city wall of, of the Temple Mount. Obviously the Dome of the Rock is there now and it was yep. shining, it was a sunny day. You could see just the reflection off that dome and you can just imagine that the temple itself when it was there would have been so much um, more beautiful and even larger than that, um, than the the mosques that is there now, and uh, it it did it did um, have an emotional impact on me when I looked at it, because you would just naturally, as a Jew, be full of pride. It's like looking at your at your son, you know, graduating from high school. It's like, wow, I'm so proud of him. Look what he's done with his life, you know. And, uh, and you can just imagine them having that same national pride, looking down and seeing, look how God has blessed us and look at this beautiful temple and how it magnifies not just God, but it shows how important we are. And, and their identity is so connected to that temple. And for Jesus to say that that is going to be torn down must have been very, very traumatic for them to hear. Absolutely. It it, it had to break their heart. And we, we know it already broke Jesus' heart because we've seen previously where he's weeping for what's going to happen to Jerusalem, which brings me to verse three again. And, and when Jesus is answering their question about, do you see these things and when are these things going to happen? He gives three different answers. He gives, do you see these things? He asked, truly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another. Every one will be torn down. And as Jesus was sitting on the mount, they said, tell us. And he said, he said, tell us when will these things happen? And he said, uh, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So I identify three things here. The end of the age, the second coming, his coming, Adventology, <laughs> um, and the destruction of the temple. So it seems to me that classic Protestants in, in the historicist approach to prophecy has seen Jesus talking about all three of these things, but not always telling us when he's talking about which. I, I don't know. What, what's your take there? Yeah, no, there's definitely a, a dual aspect to this, um, this chapter. Um, there's an immediate context that clearly identifies the, the current circumstance of the, of the church of the first century. Uh, but but I believe the larger context here is is clearly referenced to the last days. So I I think there's definitely things you can draw out that you could apply to happening and being fulfilled in the first century. But ultimately, you wouldn't want to get stuck there and and say that those only apply to that time. I personally view the chapter as as speaking largely to the last generation, those who are living right before Jesus comes. When when I think about the prophetic techniques of the reformers. Um, and, and I think about historicism. The idea is always that it begins in the time of whatever prophet is speaking. If that's John or Jesus, and Jesus, of course, is more than a prophet, Daniel, or 
Moses, whoever, right? We begin in that time and we go forward to the second coming. And even, you know, like sometimes it goes further than the second coming, right? The end of the age, the end of sin, when sin is completely destroyed, you know, and that would bring us into Revelation 20 and 21, which, you know, is a different eschatology podcast. <laughs> but well, just to jump in, I mean, yeah. but but Revelation, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 24 is 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 all through Revelation. I mean, you can refer back to this chapter all through the book of Revelation. So it is it is kind of a foundational prophecy. Like I, I tend to start here before I go to Revelation because it's it's more laid out in a simplified, understandable way. And Revelation tends to add a lot of obviously symbols and and um, you know just different types of of I would say topics that are are here, but but not as as explained. They're kind of opened up into a deeper way in Revelation. So yeah, this this is a great introduction to Revelation. Absolutely, couldn't have said it better. In fact, you know, Jesus has a freedom to speak because he's speaking to a small group of disciples, where John the Revelator um, doesn't have that freedom. He is a prisoner, and like he's sending his messages coded back in a way that only Christians and Jews can understand, but the Roman couriers don't know what he's talking about, right? You know, it's not only prophecy in the way it's written, but it's coded to a degree. But Jesus can speak openly here, right? But focusing on the first part of Matthew 24, I want to take a look at that with you, Travis. And I generally consider this first part of Matthew 24, these first signs general signs that Jesus talks about that would come. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception. Many will come claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed much. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear. Many will deceive the people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. In verse 14, my favorite in the whole chapter, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And the end will come. What's going on here, man? Help help us out. <laughs> well, I, I definitely see this as, like you said, the first kind of um, giant kind of outline. I mean, you know, of like covering a lot of big topics in a short period of time, but it, it, it really does lay out the outline between, um, you know, where we are now in history and, and the second coming of Jesus. We haven't really moved past um, the first eight verses here in what he's talking about. So verses nine through 14, we have yet to experience um, at least the modern uh, in the modern age of Christianity. Uh, so 
So I think when I'm, when I'm covering this, I think, you know, I definitely start out by, by looking at verse four and, and understanding the purpose for Jesus talking about this, these, these next, this whole chapter essentially is, is about um, what he says in verse four, right? Watch out that no one deceives you. So everything he's talking about here is to help the believers understand the true signs of Jesus coming and versus the deception, right? But the counterfeit and, and how we can know for sure when Jesus comes that it's him and the deceptions that happened before that we can discern those as well, because he's told us ahead of time. And so this is essentially what he's trying to do here. So in, again, in the first, uh, like, four through eight here, um, he, he talks about false Christ. Um, so he's talking about, you know, religion. And if it's a false Christ, then it's obviously something within the, the Christian faith that is going to be something we have to look out for. So within Christianity itself, there's going to be deception. That's what we can see in number five. Um, in number six, verse six, we can look at the world around us and see that there is going to be continual chaos um, till the end of time, right? There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, Essentially, that's just saying there's strife. There's going to be strife between nations, between people, um, in in nations, between nations. I mean, you can throw in a lot of things could fit into that category, but generally speaking, it's talking about this continual strife in the world. then verse seven, you know, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Um, that's related to verse six. But uh, again, these are the things we can't, there's no denying famines, earthquakes, you know, natural disasters come into play here. And, and I, when I present this, I, I always point out just the, the increase in earthquakes alone is alarming, just like mm-hmm. magnitude seven and above. I mean, you can look pre-1900, even like pre-1980. Mm-hmm. Um, and just since the last like, 20 to 30 years, tenfold increase in, in these massive earthquakes that uh, we've seen in our lifetime. But it's not just that. I mean, we see the, the planet is warming up, you know, it's creating, um, you know, definitely dry uh, areas and wet areas and others. We've had fires in Australia and California, Oregon, Washington. Natural uh, disasters so, are so, Yeah. I mean, this is just Texas froze almost, over. <laughs> I mean, we we're, we kind of laugh about it because it's 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 become so common. We've all the literally pandemic. Yeah, um, exactly. So you know, it, pestilences are. Um, I don't think it's in the NIV, but in the it's, yeah, it's in the King James version, right? So so pestilences refer to obviously um, pandemic like diseases. So again, all these things. I think if anybody is thinking and it has a, a spiritual bone in their body, they're going to read this and be like, wow, yeah, this is happening right now. So so what you said that in your estimation, verses 19 through 14 hasn't really had a full completion in the modern age. So you're, you're suggesting that there has been persecution, of course, in the past, but you seem to be suggesting that um, we have not really seen the full force of persecution that may be before the church. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, again, like some of these things happened and then they're going to happen again. So, so I'm not, yeah, obviously there's, there was a time 
Um, even you can just read the book of Acts and you, and you find that that's happening already in the early church uh, where people are being persecuted and put to death. Um, and were there were, of course, were there false prophets happening in the early church? Of course there were. Um, but again, like I see this as a lot of um, Christians today have this misnomer that, um, you know, we're, we're living in the Christian age now. So therefore persecution to the church is not possible. We live in this free country where we have religious freedom and uh, you know, that only happens in countries like China and, and uh, you know, maybe a few other countries in central Europe or something like that. But, but, but no, that this is something that all Christians are going to face uh, right before Jesus comes. It's kind of like, maybe, I don't know, the church doesn't get serious enough about preaching Jesus until the persecution maybe comes. We, we don't have to wait for the persecution to get serious. Like, like, talk to me, Adventology man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother, you're, yeah, you're opening up a, a can there that, that, you know, Revelation definitely gets into and specifically um, in like chapter 13, 12, 13, 14 in particular, you, you see that um, pretty clearly outlined there as uh, absolutely used here in, in this, these, these verses here in, in, in Matthew 24. But one of the things that I think is, is really something that we can see now happening. Um, and, and it's going to result, the, the ultimate fulfillment of this is going to result in, in the persecution eventually, but we're, we can see we're headed down this road. It's, Verse 12, you know, we, there's this tolerance to wickedness that is um, scarily being more accepted, especially within um, Christian circles like this ends justifies the means mm. kind of thinking that kind of justifies or, or even, um, you know, apologizes for behavior that would normally be considered immoral, but because it's being done for the, for a good cause, it's being tolerated. And so the love of many growing cold, it means that there's going to be less willingness to um, to listen to somebody you disagree with, to to help somebody you disagree with, um, and um, and we we see that happening now with the polarization within our own country and just certain topics. If you bring up, um, it doesn't matter. You're you're going to get this this vitriol kind of response. Um, uh, and, and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? So, so we can already see the seeds have, have been planted toward this love of many growing cold based on, on what's happening in our, in our world. And then, so all this eventually is, is going to kind of bear fruit, um, with a specific hatred toward, um, God's people, but we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I can really see it too. And I'm, I'm very concerned, you know, because, I'm very concerned because when Christians can be in dialogue with each other and act like the devil towards each other, then this does not bode well for the fate of the church. But maybe the silver lining here is whatever persecution comes seems to get us back on track. And it's like when, when we end up getting persecuted, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the gospel must go to the world, 
you know, and and then the end will come, right? Um, but I would just like to put my voice out there that we don't have to wait for persecution to shed off this coldness, you know? And right. and, and again, you you know, you're tying this to Revelation and the love of many growing cold here just screams the church of Ephesus <laughs> in chapter one of Revelation, whose love does what? Yeah, they lost their first love. And they grew cold, right? <laughs> you know, and then the Laodicean church, the last church, right? So so the first church loves their first loses their first love. And the last church, they're neither hot or cold. Boo, they're out, right? Ambivalent. Ambivalent, <laughs> yeah. right? So yeah, the connections are are endless, but absolutely. I'll just throw one thing in there just Go. as a personal example of how this could work. So uh I had stopped publishing podcasts regularly on my podcast for a few months. And uh I was, you know, trying to get, you know, the you know, the the creative energy, the the motivation to to get back on on tracking. And I, and by the way, I am, I mean, I just, this week I've, I'm producing um, two episodes. So I'm looking forward to those being published soon. So if you go on my podcast now, you're like, Oh, well, last one he published was back in November. But, um, so basically how this works though, is I got kind of ambivalent or lukewarm or just, you know, just didn't have the, the motivation to keep doing it until this is funny. I found I was doing something randomly and somebody else had put a podcast out there called Advent and then they put a dash and an ology. Oh. And it was like, I was like, what? Like, who are these people? They're stealing my name on my podcast. And, uh, and I reached out to them and they, uh, I'm not going to even tell who they are because I don't want to give them uh, um, publicity, but they essentially said, no, uh, we're, we're not going to change the, the name of the podcast. And, and I was like, I was really kind of like frustrated by that. But then I realized maybe this was God, you know, basically saying to me, look, if you don't do this, other people will, you know, it was kind of like this. It wasn't, I wouldn't call it persecution, but it was kind of something that was like, well, yeah, if I don't, if I just sit on this, God's going to keep doing something anyway. So it was kind of like God's way of saying, look, it's time to get back going. You got it. You can't just stop. And, uh, and I think that's going to be an, a, a small kind of a illustration of, you know, when, when God's people, when we start, when people start really questioning, um, you know, our, our beliefs and, and we're going to have to kind of ha- have a moment. It's like, do I really believe this? Is this, is this really what I believe? And, and there's going to be a group that says yes. And once they fully commit to the message, there's nothing that's going to stop them. They're going to, the gospel will go to the whole world. Yeah, Travis, you're, you're right on track. And my regular listeners know exactly where you're at because I, I did a podcast on John 10 and the sheep know my voice and that he has sheep in other folds. And when the sheep hear his voice, they come, they become one flock. I think that's exactly what you're talking about is, is that moment when, you know, you realize there are other sheep they may take your place. Uh, they may, they may get your, your, your downloads or your listens. Um, and, and really it's one fold anyway. This is good stuff. And we could talk about this for a while. Cause there's, there's so much little nuggets in this chapter that you could just, you could just uh, spend some time chewing on. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's another spectrum though, another end of it. And, and this is a, a good place for us to go. Um, there's there's those Travis who 
are too lukewarm and their love is too cold. And religion, you know, the love growing cold thing is just really sticking in my head that you that you accented that because it's like religion to them has become an excuse to be toxic to other people uh, and to be abusive to, and 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 to be very almost, you know, almost like cultic in in the way they behave. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, from those people who are taking prophecy serious. They get like really serious, so serious, so focused that they can only see prophecy. They can only see prophecy charts. They can only see events being filled. They they can they they can only see timelines. And so, like verse thirty six, Jesus says, "But you know, there'll be persecution. There'll be these signs. There'll be these things. The gospel will go to the end of the world." But about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Only the Father. Um, what about that end of the spectrum? Oh, man. Yeah, don't we just love to think that we're smarter than, than we really are? I think, you know when we try to get too confident in our interpreting of the signs and, and uh, we, we make statements that sound very authoritative and very um, just sure of ourselves. Um, it is attractive to people who are insecure and want something to hold on to. So that's why those types of individuals who, who tend to make predictions um, that the Bible doesn't, in my opinion, um, you know, give clear light on, but it, ref, you know, the Bible refers to these things as, as eventually going to happen. But sometimes people start to say, yes, it's happening now, or look, you know, this is the fulfillment of this in the Bible. And, and a lot of times they do it prematurely, but it, it seems to attract people who are looking for something to hold on to in a, in a chaotic world, in a world that, um, just is changing constantly. Um, some sort of surety and, and making sense of the chaos, um, it, it draws people in. And and so I have sympathy, honestly, for the ones who get drawn into that. I understand what they're looking for. They're looking for some sort of security. And if they feel like somebody is telling them that Jesus is going to come in 2026 or he's going to come in 2024 or whatever, and, and, and there's like some level of, Okay, I I can handle this. I can I can I can uh, prepare for that. Gives them something tangible. But unfortunately, as we have seen throughout history, the the true um, result of that premature kind of speculative approach to to the Bible and specifically you know verses like here in twenty four or like predominantly like in Revelation, um, you know, is that they're eventually proven wrong and and then the the actual result is worse than if they had never done it at all because people lose their belief in the bible and it's not the bible's fault it's just that people who claim to know a lot about the bible and sound really smart make a compelling argument and uh, and essentially this is why Matthew 24 is here is Jesus is trying to tell us 
look, don't get caught up into that stuff because you'll get disappointed and you're going to lose your faith. So here's the truth. No worries. We have more of Pastor Travis from Adventology in the next podcast. But before we can even go any further, we just need to stop and like mentally regroup and collect up the wisdom that we have heard Pastor Travis help us to discern. So in looking at Matthew 24 so far, um, we have discovered, you know, that yes, the sermon predominantly takes place on the Mount of Olives. It began at the, the temple steps. And then we had like these general signs that take place. And I appreciate Pastor Travis breaking down that some of those signs are always happening and some of them are increasing, like the earthquakes, you know, and he went on to explain this idea of persecution that that so many Christians are afraid of and they want to pretend it's not going to happen. But I liked his perspective on it being something that is actually a part of God's plan. And honestly, his idea where he connected the love of many growing cold, or as the King James says, waxing cold, the love of this, this love going cold idea that Pastor Travis connected to the reason for persecution. In other words, perhaps it seems to be suggesting that Christians sometimes bring persecution on their own head by not representing Christ the way that Christ would have had them to, but with this cold love that is very critical. And in the next part of the podcast, next week, Pastor Travis will even make that more clear, the connection between persecution and the lack of love in the last events or eschatology of Jesus. And perhaps for me, it was so refreshing to hear Pastor Travis sort of bring out this idea with me and have this discussion about no man knowing the day or the hour and that the whole purpose of Matthew 24 is to prevent Christians from being deceived. There are wolves out there. There are, as we talked about, false prophets out there, false teachers out there. In The reason I paused the interview at that point, and we will go back and we will pick it up next week right there, recap it a little bit and pick it up right there, is because I think Pastor Travis made the apex point in the eschatology of Jesus. And it's a point that is worth us breathing in absorbing in and contemplating even as we come back together next week. And that point is speculative prophecy, tabloid prophecy, as I would sometimes call it, um, arrogant prophecy. Pastor Travis talked about, you know, getting caught up in 
needing to be knowledgeable or needing to know all the truth. Whatever venue you want to put it under, date setting, whatever you want to put it under. At the end of the day, Matthew 24 is here to remind us that the truth is better than a guess. The truth is better than a lie. The truth is better than a sensational headline. Matthew 24 is here to tell us that we do more damage by having an unchrist-centric prophecy timeline than just accepting the messages of truth Matthew 24 brings to us from the mouth of the one who is the truth of God. Come back next week when I'll pick up this interview with Pastor Travis from Adventology, exactly where I left off. You can find his ministry bio and social media contacts at simplyvinny.com backslash eschatology. Simplyvinny.com backslash eschatology. E-S-C-H-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. See you at the next podcast. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinnie McIsaac from simplyvinnie.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.